HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is presented by Restaurant Workers Community Foundation, an advocacy and action nonprofit created by and for restaurant workers. Learn more at restaurantworkerscf.org. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today, on January 21st, 2020, at 6.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I am 100% sure every single one of them is listening to Tech Bites, the weekly show where we talk to innovators and influencers in the food tech space. And today, even though we're getting a little late into January, we have a really good year in review preview kind of thing happening for the year to come with a bunch of the folks from Bento Box. We have AJ Kamara, who is the design director at Bento Box, and Christina Martin, who's the marketing manager. These are new Bento Box peeps coming on the show. We've had their boss lady, CFO and founder, Crystal Mobayani, on bunches and bunches of times in the past. And Christina's actually been here for shows, but never been on the mic. I know. Hello. It's good to be here. Hi. Thanks for having us. It's very exciting. AJ, thank you for coming. Pleasure to be here. So before we get into what is happening in the online restaurant world and what you listeners and consumers are doing, actually, on your mobile web to make reservations and whatnot... We're going to start the show like we always do, talking about apps, and that's not the restaurant kind. This is not the mozzarella cheese stick part, but apps on your phone, apps we love, new ones we've just discovered, maybe something that's been lurking for the past 10 years. It's been that long. <laughs> Christina, do you have an app that you really love right now? I do. Um, I am obsessed with this app called Scopa Pro. And um, Scopa is this Italian card game. Um, It's like a face card game, but um, you can play it on your phone. And it's just a really, I'm I'm addicted. I can't stop playing it. And for me, it's a nice thing to do. Uh, I'm trying to spend less time on social media. So it's a nice thing to do when I maybe want to occupy my time a little bit, but don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Um, there's a little bit of math. There's a little bit of strategy involved. So I, I've really enjoyed that as sort of an alternative um, to uh, my screen time. Had you been a game player on your phone prior? I've never been a game player on my phone. This is, this is my gateway game. Um, I learned... Gateway game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I learned about the game through some, um, some friends that... Uh, I, I don't know. They picked it up, and and the and also the face cards are really they're 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 just different. They're um, a little more classic looking, so I, I like the look of the cards as well. But yeah, I, I've never been a game player, but this is I, I'm I can't like I can't stop playing it. Okay, so now you have an uh, you've reduced your social media time. Yeah. But now you have a different issue. Yes. <laughs> but I but I feel better because like oh I'm I'm using my brain I'm using some math skills I'm strategizing. You're not getting angry or feeling bad about your desk lunch Ex- or yeah, anything yeah. like that yeah. or feeling like you missed out on a restaurant exactly. or dinner or, or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Good. Scopa. Yeah. Scopa Pro. Okay. Is it a free one or does it's Pro free. imply? Oh, okay. It's free. So Pro's not meaning I think paid. There's like four levels. So Pro is like the the highest level in terms of difficulty. And is it Italian? Yes, it's an Italian card game. It's an Italian card game. Is it an Italian game? 
Um, the, the app seems uh, neutral in terms of its country of origin. Okay. The only game that I have on my phone is Neko Atsume, which is the Japanese cat collecting game. Interesting. I think I actually talked about it many, many, many years ago on Tech Bytes when it first came out. When it first came out, it's a Japanese game. And you had to go to some weird website like Japanese iTunes or something to download it. And all the directions were in Japanese. So you just sort of had to kind of figure it out. And now it's very popular and you can get it the English version and it has... English language interface and not just like the kanji Japanese interface, which, you know, I maybe miss a little bit, but um, that's my gateway game. And you don't really do that much, but it's very good. That, maybe that'll be my next one. Neko Atsume. I can show it to you during the Great. break. Mm-hmm. AJ, do you have an app that you really love right now? Yeah, and you're, um, the, you're the design guy, so no pressure. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, speaking of games, um, I actually recently downloaded an app called Grasshopper. And uh, it's basically a game that helps you learn JavaScript. Now, as a web designer, um, I'm actually trying to learn more about web development. So picking up this sort of game helps me learn more about, um, you know, coding types that I'm not that familiar with. Uh, So, you know, I um, primarily focus on HTML and CSS. And JavaScript is an essential part to front-end web development. So um, having this um, whole learning process of JavaScript kind of integrated into a game uh, makes it much easier to pick up. Uh, so this has been fun. I'm getting feelings of like vegetables in your brownies that you give to children <laughs> to make them like eat vegetables it's or sort something of like, like that. that. Is it is it gamified for adults or for mid-range ages or younger kids? Is it like a I think STEM it's for thing adults. or you think it's for adults? Yeah, okay. yeah, I think and it's for adults. How do they gamify learning the code? Uh, so, um, you know, uh, the way that they have it is that um, you're basically um, solving these little riddles with JavaScript. Uh, So, for instance, there might be a game of um, creating a flag and you have different options in front of you and you basically have to select the options that combine to create that flag. Uh, so it's like this. That sounds whole, like, like a multiple choice test. Yeah. Not really a game. <laughs> it's sort of like that, you know. A little bit, right? They, they gamify it as much <laughs> as they can. <laughs> Are there prizes? Do you win something? Is there like a? Uh, you know, they have the different levels, and you go through of different stages. Explosion confetti when you put the flag together, or something. <laughs> sort of. There's a fun little grasshopper that's kind of like your your helper through the game. Uh, but um, it's it's pretty fun. When you said grasshopper, I thought we were going to go into like a martial arts kind of direction, <laughs> you know, like grasshopper, that kind of thing. Like a Keith Carradine, you know, in a way, wandering uh, monk moment. Yeah. In a way, I guess you're the grasshopper to the game. <laughs> so. okay, fair, fair. Building yeah. something for a rainy day. Maybe. Exactly. Matt, do you have an app that you like this week? And this is going to be the voice, the voice that you can hear, but you can't see. I know you're back there, even though you're standing in that tiny, tiny little slice between the two windows. We call it my spot. (laughs) Uh, You know, do I have an app? No, not really. The other day, I was at a bar, and there was a Spinny Schlitz beer sign, and I was like, that'd be an all right boomerang. How do you do boomerangs? And, uh, and, because I'm an Instagram pro. And I found out, you have to have a separate app for boomerang? Is that seriously the only way to do it? Because I did download the app I did my first boomerang. I think it might have been my last boomerang because it was boring. But uh, do you, is that real? Like you have to go to a separate app to do a boomerang? No, you can, um, within the Facebook, no, I'm sorry, within the Instagram app, when you do your, your story, if you want to have it as an Instagram story, there is an option for boomerang. This um, is great. We're doing remedial you, Instagram and, for and the Tech Bytes listeners. Hey, you know, we did an episode about being an Instagram pro back in 2015. It's not too late to bring that idea back. I I should Continue, re- I should I mean, because you're not the only one, I'm sure, Matt. Yeah, there's there's different options when you go into stories, and so you could technically shoot the boomerang through your Instagram story, put it on your Instagram story, but then also save that and then post it to your uh, to your regular sort of feed. I've tried to make a story before, and every time I've just been like, this seems confusing and I don't care, and then I stop. Okay, so 2020, we're going to do some Instagram, I believe the episode is called Instagram Boot Camp. Okay. So we might do Instagram Boot Camp Part 2, but it was was pre-Boomerang. And pre-stories, I'm sure. Pre-stories, pre-Boomerang, pre-TikTok, all that stuff. I think actually that's my, I really should just be switching straight to TikTok. Get in with the kids, you know? 
That is a crazy interface, but I think you can do it. Uh, you, you, yep, you don't know me. <laughs> <laughs> great, great show ideas. We always need show ideas. Yeah. So, AJ and Christina are here from Bento Box. Every year, all right, Bento Box. For people who don't know Bento Box, you may, you've probably used Bento Box and not even realized it. Bento Box is a website platform for restaurants, for desktop and mobile web design. It's very plug and play. They only do restaurants. They have about 5,000 restaurants who are using their platform in 50 states and 27 countries worldwide. And they've been around for a while. As I said, Crystal, the CEO and founder, has been on a bunch of times. And what restaurants need from their websites is very specific. And it's not really complicated, but they need things like to be able to make menu changes really quickly. And they need to be able to do that on their own in real time. Or they need to be able to have changes made to a cocktail list or a wine list. They need reservations. They need pictures. They need directions. Um, and it's not super complicated, but the piece that makes it perhaps more interesting is that restaurants need to have control over it themselves, and so it has to be easy and it has to be made to plug and play for people who are not using a game to learn JavaScript. <laughs> so BentoBox has provided a really interesting platform. The websites are beautiful. I'm, I'm sure if you visit BentoBox, you will see, oh, yeah, I've, I've been on that restaurant's website before. So I know you have used them at some point. Here's another interesting thing about anything you do online, and we know this as consumers because we read about it and we think about it all the time. Every single thing that you do on your phone or on your computer leaves a trail of information. You are an avalanche of data points every waking moment of every single day. And a lot of those data points are kind of creepy and big brother scary surveillance. But some of those data points, like how many uh, vegetarian orders are happening, when are people making reservations, what are your most popular times, how big is your gift card business, having those pieces of information, if you're a business owner, can be super helpful. Having those pieces of information for every single restaurant on your block could be really helpful for all those business owners. But most restaurants, as we know, are resource strapped and don't have a lot of time, don't have big IT departments. So Bento Box does something very public service and very interesting at the end of the year. They analyze and publish sort of the data and the metrics from their customers. And they analyze it and they share it for free on their website so people can take a look at it. And this is great for a bunch of reasons. One, we can find out what's happening. Two, restaurants can actually make use of the data that's plowing through their websites every day. But the other thing is that then you all can use it to figure out what you're going to do in 2020 in the next year. So we have a lot of stuff to talk about in a very, very short period of time because I'm very curious to find out how you can plan for a year and a decade in a business in tech and restaurants that move so quickly. But we'll get to that later. <laughs> so the first thing, let's talk about what happened in 2019, just in terms of, you know, the, the big numbers, mobile versus web, the different trends, what came to mind, what was surprising to you, what did you expect, what was just a slow build from last year? Yeah, so um, I'll start with uh the mobile versus desktop uh, website visitors, um, we've been seeing a steady increase um, in those numbers. So in 2017, I think we were just pushing past 50% in terms of uh, more mobile website visitors compared to desktop visitors. Um, and we've seen that steadily increase. Um, so this year we found we're up to 65% now for mobile visitors. Um, so really, it's something that you know, BentoBox designs their website to be all of our websites to be mobile friendly, and and um, and that that thought is we've known that this was going to happen, but it's been pretty impactful to see that steady gain not only with website visitors but also in terms of um, how people are are using um, online ordering. So it's seventy percent mobile usage for online ordering. Um, 
and even from a reservation standpoint, um, it's still larger. I think it's, um, we're about to tip over 50% for reservations as well. So it, it just seems like designing for mobile is, is a must. Um, and, and, and thinking about what that mobile experience is, um, from a, from a, from your restaurant to a customer base is also incredibly important as well. Do you simultaneously, as a company, track sort of the general user trends? Does that do we know if that replicates just consumer behavior and people's behavior? Are we just doing more on mobile than we are on a desktop? Is it a convenience? Is it just that's the way we live now? Do more people have smartphones and are able? I actually know quite a few people now that I think about it who have a smartphone who don't have a computer who are then going to do everything on their phone. Yeah. Yeah, I think that um, in terms of consumer behavior, people are just conducting more on their mobile devices um, and moving away from, you know, you're on the go, especially, you know, you're probably looking up a restaurant right before you go out, um, making plans on the fly. And as people become more mobile, you know, one thing that we saw that changed this year was, this isn't a huge change, but Friday used to be the most heavily trafficked day for website visits. Now it's Saturday. And I think that might have to do with people just being able to access it when they're walking around more rather than having to be in a stationary place. Um, and, and in turn, I think that they're, because we know that visitors are coming from a mobile angle, we can also sort of anticipate their needs better. And I know AJ can speak to how we're designing based on that data. Had you initially, that, so to back up, you've published this report mm-hmm. a few years in a row. The trend has been moving more to mobile yep. and mm-hmm. off the desktop. desktop. Yep. Although I always think laptop, but yes, desktop. Yep. <laughs> um, still mobile. Back in the day when I worked in advertising and we were building websites for our customers, it was a very, very early stage of you needed something mobile. And then the mobile version of the website had like a little M dot. Mm-hmm. And then it was, you know, the web. It was a it whole just different sort of, website. It was like a whole different mm-hmm. website. Or I remember when, um, was it HTML5 where it would automatically resize to the screen? And that was like yeah. an amazing <laughs> design feat. Mm-hmm. How different is it to design for that versus m- mobile or is it just all the same because it's so fluid now? Yeah, I would say um, now uh, the importance is ensuring that the desktop experience is um, translated to mobile without you know, missing out on what you get on the desktop version. Uh, and I think that was a big difference from the way that mobile websites were created before. Um, you know, having a separate standalone mobile site uh, really cut down um, you know, a lot of the bells and whistles and just gave you the essential information quickly. Um, and that's still what we, we do. We do ensure that uh, the user gets the important information, but we try to maintain that same impact of the desktop experience, uh, just so that the brand image is maintained on all um, touch points. So if you expect mobile, I mean, mobile has surpassed. Are you, is there ever a point in time where mobile becomes the priority and you reverse engineer it where you're designing for the best mobile experience for your customers as a product and then the web is sort of like a home base or something like yeah, that you know, or um, like it's the satellite you know the space shuttle and then mm-hmm. the website's basically mission control which is functional but way less sexy yeah one of the things that we're looking to make a shift to is um you know um designing the mobile version of the website first mm-hmm. and then design the desktop version and we kind of did this approach uh, with our own website redesign. We really focused the bento on box exactly. Mm-hmm. We focused on really ensuring the mobile experience was fully optimized. Um, then the desktop experience followed. Uh, so taking the same approach for our restaurant websites will ensure that what most users are seeing is the best version of the website. And then obviously, when you have more real estate on a desktop screen, uh, you know you do get a little bit more than what you could cram into a, a smaller screen, but. Uh, we keep that same brand experience um, across all screen sizes. Do you really need more? Uh, I mean, how much more do you need? I mean, you know, practically speaking, I suppose, you know, you could speak to, you know, the different uh, parts of a website or an experience. Um, I'm sure that 
there are specific restaurants that are using pages or things that other places wouldn't need. But, I mean, how much do you need beyond, like, the map, the phone, the call, the reserve? Sure. Uh, I mean, I think, um, you know, um, as far as um, how much more you need, um, I would say restaurants who care a lot about uh, brand image and the lifestyle that they're creating are the ones that really value uh, getting that more. Uh, so it's not just all about the address and menus and all that basic stuff. Uh, it's more about how do we really, um, you know, sell you on the vibe of this and um, have that whole, like the, the whole restaurant brand represented in this small device. And I think that's the important factor. It's challenging mm-hmm. to make everything sort of bite-sized. It's like, you know, turning a whole website into like the amuse-bouche tasting menu version <laughs> of it. So we're, mobile is in the lead. Desktop's probably never going to come back. I, I don't see that happening at the, at the rate that people are just on their phones um, and exchanging information on their phones and how um, accessible it really is. It's also the, the, the economic barrier to getting into a smartphone is almost negligible now, and it's still expensive to buy a desktop computer yeah. and then have the connectivity and all of that. Everything else is just so easy. Reservations, obviously, is the lifeblood of the restaurant and having people you know book and come in. It looks like it's 50-50, 51% of guests book online on mobile and then 49 on the desktop. Yeah. What, was there a small percent? There, that's 100%. Is nobody calling anymore? Well, I guess it's probably a very small percent in terms of what we're able to track, you mm-hmm. know, the way that um, our website... Would you track it if somebody hit the call button on a phone number? Do you know well, what I mean? We like wouldn't when be you're able a... to... We, it would be difficult because we wouldn't be able to know the intention of right. the phone call. So... Um, I think in, in this in these specific instances, we're looking at people who are intentionally clicking on the reservation portion of the website. Yeah. And interestingly, most reservation requests are submitted around 530. That's yeah. a lot of late in the day. Yeah. Slim Pickens in New York City, you're <laughs> yeah. making your reservation at 530. Or I'm assuming that that's for that night. But it could be end of day and somebody's reserving for further sure. out, like yeah. next week or the week after. Yeah, it just seems like maybe people are, are uh, trying to look for an end-of-day distraction, looking ahead, uh, whether that's for that night or um, later on in the week. But it seems like maybe there's some free time, uh, or maybe not free time, but maybe it's a nice distraction to the end of the day, planning your meal ahead. Which sort is, of time, yeah, yeah time yeah. to go. yeah. And we are January 21st, so we are just a hop, skip, and a jump away from Valentine's Day, which is one of the most trafficked restaurant days of the year. 75% spike in reservations before Valentine's Day. I know. That was, I would, I was a little surprised by that. I, I'm not a big Valentine's Day person, but I think the perception of Valentine's Day is that you know, people are planning and there's all these options and all these offerings. And so to see that sort of last minute spike right before the day of was kind of was kind of a fun thing. And um, it's it's fun sort of thinking how restaurants can strategize around that in terms of, you know, putting up maybe like a homepage notifications. It's like we still have spots, you know, or sending out an email beforehand or putting on something on social media. Um, but, yeah, people aren't planning ahead for for Valentine's Day. I think I'm personally part of that <laughs> statistic. Are you not planning ahead? You've been at Bento Box for how many years? You're almost one of the originals, right? Uh, yeah, I guess you could say that. Uh, and, um, you know, I wait till the, the, the night before. Oh, there you go. Oh. <laughs> I know. Uh, it's not good. Uh, you know, not a good um, um, behavior. Uh, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not romantic, but <laughs> not thinking of in advance for this stuff. But um, it is very interesting to see that. Um, you know, I share that behavior yeah. with like Not the majority. Alone. So do you wind up doing a lot of those? I'm going to cook you a special dinner at home for your significant <laughs> other. Like that's my Valentine. We're not going to a I restaurant. Wish, I wish I was that romantic. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's a it's a really fun look at snapshot of what's been happening in restaurants over the course of the year. And you have this information because you have all the restaurants. The actual restaurants themselves wouldn't necessarily be able to see these trends. 
No, I th- and most I'm going to ask, ask the question, but most restaurants that you're working with don't have IT departments. You do work with large restaurant groups that have multiple outlets and do have sort of like IT and and people leading analytics on the data. But the average bento box customer doesn't have an analytical data IT department. Do yeah, they? or maybe they have an IT department, but that's not what the the major focus is in terms of like trying to find these these trends. Um, yeah, so that's one of the reasons that we like putting this together is I think it's it's a resource whether you're a large company or, or a small mom and pop, you know, it gives somebody an opportunity to look at the trends and see what's happening and and plan ahead because oftentimes even if they have the IT department like maybe they don't have the time or the person who's going to sit there and go through all the information or even like you know we're sort of trying to think always about what the restaurants needs are from like an overview of like all of the different restaurants that we look at a restaurant owner may not think to say oh I, I wonder what time my reservations are coming in or like oh like when what what holidays is the most um, important for my reservations you know that they may not be thinking about those those questions on the day to day yeah on the day to day because you know we start we st- we start asking those questions in like September I mean we, we start we start having early conversations and, and dialogue over what these questions are going to be um, and, and so we have time to put into that but restaurant owner like you know, many times they're not they're not thinking past like the next couple of days or the next shift. The next, you know? exactly yeah. the next the next seating, yeah. the next the next service yeah. slot. Yeah. So we, we can have a little bit of objectivity and, and think of that. And what's been great is to see um, we've had a really great response um, from the restaurants we work with, especially with the e-commerce related um, data. I think the the menu data is always fun, but the, the e-commerce related data with. Um, you know, the, the, the days that catering orders are coming in or the times that reservations are coming in or the most popular types of gift cards. Um, we've gotten good feedback of, of restaurants like having meetings with their, with their staff and talking about strategizing. So that's really exciting to us and looking forward to following up with them and seeing how they're, they're playing with that throughout the year. One of the things that struck me and part of, of the conversation that we had uh, but before the show to just sort of talk through the different the different pieces of data that you had and then how you were using them. I think part of my um, part of my thought process has to do with the fact that last week's show we had Alice Chang on who is the um, CEO and founder of Culinary Agents, which is a fantastic hospitality focused website to find a job and find employees. It's really wonderful. And the similarity that came through to me when I was having my conversation with Alice and then the conversation that I had with you two was that both Bento Box and Culinary Agents are digital sites. They are specifically geared towards hospitality and they are specifically geared towards one specific problem or channel. Bento Box builds websites. Culinary Agents helps people find work. But because of the scale and because it is digital, and I think partially because, you know, it's it, they're small companies that have an entrepreneurial point of view, Culinary Agents has taken all the data and the trends and everything that they have available to them, similar to Bento Box, and they are then using that to help their customers make better advertisements, have better websites about their jobs, better um, ways to present things, hiring practices. They can tell them what cooks and restaurant workers are looking for in a restaurant. And they have a pipeline that, you know, they can push, you know, job ads out to beyond just culinary agents and, and different things like that, where they then take their data, they analyze it, they give it back to their customers, and they are, in effect, becoming a little bit of a de facto HR department for restaurants that don't have a lot of resources. Similar to, you know, Bento Box starting to become like a de facto marketing IT department for restaurants that don't have the resources, which is really interesting to me, um, the similarity of that 
which you don't have in sort of like from a laundry service company or, you know, you don't really have from, you know, your meat vendor or something like that, where not only you're providing just a service, but you're almost like create becoming a de facto, you know, job slot or employee person. Yeah, I think a lot of what Bento, what we do at Bento Box is we're trying to eliminate the wedge that can often sort of separate a restaurant from the customer. And so we're creating technology that, yes, we're sort of supporting them in their digital efforts, in their um, revenue-driving e-commerce efforts, in their marketing efforts, but we're really giving them control to carry out those things themselves. So it, it, we, we build the platform and we build the features, but they still have the power to do what they need to do. So on a, and, and, and the resources and the, you know, the, the, the staff at Bento Box, our account managers are amazing in terms of the way they care for the restaurants they work with. So they have that partner to talk with on a, on a day-to-day basis as things come up. But so it, it's a, it's a bit of a hybrid in terms of like, not necessarily outsourcing, but giving them the tools that they need to empower themselves and, and to do it. And then, but also knowing that they have like Bento Box is a partner that's going to continue to build um, a product that puts their needs first. It's interesting. Like, I don't get that from Squarespace. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, and, and we're like 100%. 100% hospitality specific, everything we do is for restaurants. So we can do that in a, in a much more specific way um, and provide that provide that experience not only for the customers that are coming to the website, but for the, the restaurants that we work with in terms of the back end and, and how we design that experience as well. Well, we at Heritage Radio are also very hospitality and exclusively food focused although we have about 35 live shows a week that range from things like cheese to spices to history and cooking we are going to take a quick break and find out who the underwriter is of this show who's helping support those 35 shows a week we are a 501c3 nonprofit. did you know that We keep the lights on and the mics hot out of the generosity of our members, many of whom are listeners like you, grants, and underwriters like this one. Stay with us. This episode is presented by Restaurant Workers Community Foundation, an advocacy and action nonprofit created by and for restaurant workers. RWCF addresses quality of life issues that disproportionately affect restaurant workers, such as wage fairness, gender equity, racial justice, immigrant rights, mental health, and substance abuse. Learn more about advocacy, grant making, and impact investing by RWCF at restaurantworkerscf.org. Well, if you're just joining us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today that intersection might very well be sitting on your smartphone. We are talking with folks from Bento Box, the restaurant web design company. We are with AJ Kamar, the design director, and Christina Martin, the marketing manager. We're big fans of Bento Box here on Heritage. We've had Crystal Mobiani, the CEO and founder, on many, many times over the years. She's great. We are here talking about their 2019 year in review of the trends that they've seen um, combing through the data points from their more than 5,000 restaurant websites that they are currently hosting and working with. It's great to recap. It's great to give restaurants information about how people are using websites and the traffic and they can prepare themselves for the onslaught for Valentine's Day. (laughs) But how do you use the data to build for the coming year? And then we are at a very precipitous new decade, which is so exciting. Can you plan for a decade? Is that even possible? I mean, the restaurant world, even though 
you know, we're in a restaurant that's been here for 10 years. There are heritage legacy restaurants that have been around forever, but that changes very quickly. And I, I just feel that technology is just moving very, very quickly also. I mean, Matt with the boomerang and the TikTok, <laughs> I mean, you know, there's probably a new thing since we've been on the air that he has to figure out how to not use. <laughs> can you plan for a decade? How far out can you plan from a, from a tech side in terms of what you want to do, what restaurants are asking you for? Uh, you know, um, a lot of what we do um, as far as planning ahead is um, we look ahead at um, the coming year and kind of take the data from the previous year to um, inform the way that we approach uh, designing the restaurant's websites. Uh, so for instance, um, looking at something like um, a ramen kit being the most popular item, uh, that kind of helps us uh, determine how do we use uh, what's going on on that particular website or that page uh, to inform the way that we design other e-commerce pages um, for our other customers uh, to, to take that sort of um, information to further optimize whatever it is that they're pushing to make that more successful. Uh, even the way that we build our tools that we use internally to design restaurant websites, uh, are, it's all based on the feedback that we get day to day from working with so many restaurants. Um, you know, um, such a wide range from food trucks to um, you know, fancy establishments. Uh, taking all of that information that they give us to um, you know, make the perfect website for them, uh, to then kind of change the way that we build our tools that we use to design other websites to come. So it's kind of like this whole collaborative approach of um, taking what they give us, um, helping that improve our tools, and then in the end, delivering a product that is um, you know, most optimal for them and their guests. So taking a look at the 2019 year in review, what results from this list have made it onto your to-do list for 2020? Uh, I would say for sure, um, as far as, um, you know, on the design side specifically, um, the web designers, um, we're looking at how to specifically design and lay out a page uh, that is most optimal for whatever specific goal you have. Uh, so if your goal is to, um, you know, sell more tickets, how do we design a page that really does that rather than just, you know, putting tickets in your face? How do we design the whole page and, um, you know, guide the user to that specific end goal? Uh, so it's all about um, taking clues like that and combining them and um, making these informed decisions uh, to create something that's effective. How many different types of pages do you offer on Bento Box? Just out of curiosity, I mean, if I was going to do a layout or just sort of think in my mind the types of pages that a restaurant would need, oh, I could maybe come up with like, I don't know, maybe... Uh, you know, off the top of my head, maybe like 20 or something yeah. <laughs> like that. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of really unique things. And then as soon as you build one, I'm assuming it goes into the menu of options. But mm -hmm. how many different types of pages do you offer now? I would say we probably have around, like you're right, like around 20-ish uh, different page templates. Um, but the flexibility that we offer is that we can then create pages that are not specifically you know, constrained to those templates. And um, I think that's kind of what makes us unique as a platform. Um, you're not very restricted. Um, and especially the fact that um, your site is being designed by um, professional designers, rather than having you do it yourself, uh, whatever page you need, we can basically create yeah. it. So it's kind of unique in that way. Yeah. And we also know like the best practices in terms of like, you know, what customers or what guests are looking for, which are things like menu and location, contact information. So we build in those best practices um, from the get go. But then there's also a lot of collaboration with the restaurant and, and making sure that their uh, creative needs are also met. Exactly. It's so fascinating. Do you feel more constricted designing for mobile? Because it's um, smaller? Is it more of a challenge? Is it like it's, you know, sort of like a Top Chef mystery box challenge where it's like, here's seven things in a box. Yeah. <laughs> you have a half hour to make it look good on your phone. Uh, no, I would say um, in a way designing for mobile is simpler. Um, and you really have to hone in on what is the main point of this specific view of this page. Uh, and really ensure that that's being highlighted. Uh, so in a way, by cutting back on the screen size, you get to just really focus in on that thing. Uh, so that, that kind of makes it simpler. What types of requests are you getting from restaurants for 2020? Hmm. 
anything on the top of the list? Is there something everybody's asking for? Something interesting is, um, I would say, um, so a lot of these restaurants have, um, you know, full-on brand packages, brand guidelines. Um, you know, it's, it's really taking um, the whole personality of the restaurant and delivering it visually. Uh, a lot of what we're seeing now is um, restaurants have brand guidelines and, um, you know, they really want to ensure that they, the, the way that they're presented on their website matches the way that you um, experience them within the restaurant. So I would say one of the biggest things that we're seeing now is an increase in um, that sort of thing. So having this full-on approach. That's fascinating, because mm-hmm. restaurants aren't doing that. That means they're hiring exactly. design mm-hmm. design shops to so it shows that do they a care proper more. branding. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so they're definitely caring more about design. And um, I think we're, you know, the way that we get to work with so many different restaurants, um, it's kind of interesting to see um, the impact that design has um, on their business. And um, just just getting to uh, experience this growth in, you know, branding for your restaurant is um, a great way to see that come to life. I'm even hesitant to bring this up because we only have five minutes left, but I'm just going to say it and then we're going to, I think, have to put a pin in it and and do another, maybe a roundtable show later in the year. Delivery. Yeah. Oof. (laughs) So many things about delivery. You're building some new delivery things. Yeah. There is delivery already. So Jan, just call us. We are. That we are, has to be a big thing. Yeah, we're getting ready to announce um, our own online ordering solution for restaurants. Um, in February, we'll be launching uh, Bento Ordering, which uh, will allow restaurants to uh, collect and easily manage um, online orders um, for pickup and in-house delivery Um, and we're really excited about it because it is going we know it's going to help restaurants bypass these very high commission charges that they're getting charged by third-party services Um, and it's going to put them in control of their customer relationship and it's going to put them in control of the online experience in their store as well Um, so you know, we were talking about how do we plan ahead, you know, how do we strategize, and, and going back to some of what AJ said, our, our customer feedback is incredibly important in terms of what we develop. And um, we got a lot of feedback um, over pain points that people were experiencing with their online ordering, um, getting charged 20% plus on commissions, not having access to the data, um, and, and to the information that comes with those online orderings, not having their brand um, front and center, having somebody else's brand. Um, and, and really just like, you know, when you go to these third-party sites, those third-party sites are owning those relationships. It's not your restaurant. And so um, that is one of the reasons why this has been so important to development. And uh, and yeah, more to come, but, but we're really excited to put this out because there's obviously, um, uh, there's a huge dialogue happening around this now. Not just that online ordering ordering is important, but that the online ordering solutions that have been out there have not really been solutions. Um, they've been hurting They're not the solutions for restaurants. Yeah. They're yeah. solutions for other people and exactly. other businesses. Yeah, they're not solutions for restaurants. And so um, we're really excited to to um, be putting this out in the universe in the universe very, very soon. That will be an exciting one. We did a great show. La- I'm going to have to look it up. I think it was last year on the uh, Grubhub gate mm. with the websites and <laughs> yeah. the phone numbers and everything. Yeah. That was just an unbelievable yeah, story. Yeah, a great story. Great really, coverage. really good. Um, we did an episode with the journalist who broke that story. Fantastic. Yeah. In 2015, one of our first shows was, are delivery services bad for restaurants? And the answer was yes. It's true. Unequivocally. And there were far fewer back then than there are now. Yeah. Um, I, if, if anybody is interested about the topic, if people are listening and your, if your reaction is, I don't get it. Why would delivery services be bad for restaurants? I encourage you to listen to those past episodes of Tech Bytes. It'll really, really um, articulate the story and... and and make it um, very understandable. The first one is um, I had two independent restaurant owners come on and speak about their relationships with the different delivery services. And it's there's a part of it where it's just really heartbreaking yeah. because they're not making any money. And yeah. it's actually be 
at one point became detrimental to one of the yeah. businesses. Well, and what's exciting about bento ordering is that in our beta testing, our customers are keeping on average 96% of their online ordering profits. So Unheard of. Yeah. It, yeah. it's, it's, we're, we're really excited about it, and um, we're just excited to be helping restaurants um, succeed and drive more revenue and uh, so that we can also go into their beautiful spaces and interact with their people and, you know, keep those lights on. And so just to be clear, it's not a delivery service for bento boxes. No. Okay. Just to be clear, because at first I was like, oh, no, I love a good bento, but that's not what this is. No, not a delivery service for bento boxes. It's going to put, we're putting (laughs) restaurants in control of their online ordering for pickup and in-house delivery. And we're excited. And some of them might have bento boxes. Some of them (laughs) might have bento boxes on the menu, but you'll have to use bento ordering to order those bento boxes. It's very meta. Yeah. It's very meta. <laughs> totally unrelated sidebar question. I'm assuming you've done bento boxes at events and promotional things and stuff like you that. You know, we... Is, I mean, is, I mean is the mar- as the marketing and advertising person, you, we the, bento, not, bento, the bento box bento box, is, has that been a thing? We have not, uh, we have not done that. Um, Can just, we steal well, you know, that idea? Maybe, yeah. Maybe. I, I, I am available for freelance work. <laughs> I'm Amazing. available for freelance. You know, I think we spend so much time trying to differentiate ourselves from actual bento boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd be surprised. We get tagged all the time on in people's like take actual it. kids take bento it. boxes. Take it. Some on, of the sites are amazing. So, uh, so I think sometimes we try to separate ourselves a little bit. But um, I'll, I'll run it up the flagpole. It could be fun. It could be really fun, and then delivered. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it seems obvious to me. <laughs> I feel like it's the first thing I would do. If you are interested in looking at the 2019 review, you can check it out online. It is free for anybody to look at. It's also a great source for journalists and people writing stories and looking for data. GetBento.com is the website. They are also on social media with the GetBento handle. I want to thank AJ and Christina for coming out to Bushwick, to Heritage Radio, to share this information with us. It's a lot of fun and also some of the things that they're going to be doing for next year. Um, I'd be very interested to hear about what happens with the delivery coming this year. I mean, it's a very hot, important topic. And the thing that's fascinating to me about the delivery story is the millennial generation is noted for being voraciously informed and voraciously concerned about the goodness and the ethics of the services and products that they use. It's one of the hallmarks of the generation. And millennials are the people who are powering a lot of the delivery services. And the fact that so many people have just such a superficial understanding about delivery services and haven't asked the same types of questions they would ask of the store they buy their jeans from or the website they, you know, get their headphones from or the practices of, you know, the coffee bean grower. Mm -hmm. If people were asking the same types of questions of the delivery services, these conversations would probably have been happening years ago. But there's something about the convenience and the, the now just so habitual sort of reaction of just like it's second nature. Um, that it hasn't even been a question, which is amazing to me because people are questioning everything but not delivery. Yeah. Well, that's why I think that some of the reporting that's been happening lately, um, even with things happening here in New York City, um, with the New York City Council and Grubhub. um, Chuck Schumer called for an investigation. Yep. yep. Um, So bringing light to those stories and and the people that are are telling them, I, I think with time that'll change and we've already seen that at at least in survey form people say that they want to order from restaurants um so we're happy to be giving them an opportunity to do that and then i I do believe that in in time that you know like even like with fast fashion i think even like five years ago 
there wasn't the awareness that there is now. And so I, I'm confident that as we keep having these conversations and more of these stories keep arising and, and as more restaurants, you know, find ways to, to offer delivery directly to their, to their guests and advocate and tell them, hey, this is where we want you doing your online ordering and this is why, I think that that will change. Well, definitely give us a give us a shout when that happens later this year. It's definitely something that we can revisit. We're due. We do a story on delivery almost, I think, once a year, so we can slate that in. You will be able to find us live online at heritageradionetwork.org every Tuesday evening at 6.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you miss the live broadcast, Tech Bytes is powered by Simplecast, and you can find us on just about every single podcasting platform. I'm sure one of the ones you like, Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, all that. If you want to get in touch with us, because you have a great story, you have a great idea, maybe you're the founder of a company, email us, techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org. Find us on social media, techbyteshrn. And I think that's it. I think that's all I have to say. Did I forget anything, Matt? Uh, no, I think you got it. Excellent. I'm Jennifer Leutzi, and this is Tech Bytes. Tech Bytes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Sherry Bayer the host of All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm thrilled to let you know about HOST, Summit Plus Social, a new conference for and about the hospitality industry, taking place Monday, January 27th, 2020, at the William Vale in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, New York City. Based on my All in the Industry show, HOST, which stands for Hospitality Operations, Services, and Technology, will bring behind-the-scenes talent in hospitality to the forefront in a live format, featuring guests from some of my most popular episodes, including Drew Niporent, Rita Jamey, Crystal Mobiani, J.J. Johnson, and Jeff Gordonier. Our event will include intimate panels, one-on-one interviews, industry news discussions, curated lunch conversations, and more. Plus, of course, we will have outstanding food and drink throughout the day including an energizing closing reception. For more information and tickets, please go to allintheindustry.com. And also, please follow us at All Industry on Instagram and Twitter. I hope you will join us in celebrating our dynamic hospitality industry. Many thanks.